Good morning. Welcome. It's good to see every one of you. And uh, I told some of you that maybe we should be singing There's Power in the Blood this morning because so many of you are without power. So we're glad you made it through. Please let me say this. Um, with all the storms that have come through, and I know many of you will be busy, but please, if you do have a special need and you need help with something, uh, especially if there's something blocking you from your home or access, please let me know. Uh, we do have a green team here, and we do have guys that are capable and able, and we can't do huge things. Uh, we don't want to take trees off your home, but we will help unclear things and help you so that you have access and a safe place to be. So please let me know so that we can minister to you if we need to do that. Um, as you're coming in, let me just welcome you this morning. We do have our picnic today, and thank the Lord. He answered my prayers. Um, believe it or not, I did pray that the weather would be a little cooler, and uh, I just wasn't specific enough to tell him how to do that. Um, so let me begin by saying this. Everyone is obviously welcome, and based on where you've been last night and what you've had to go through, obviously will change things, but... Uh, we still are going to have the picnic afterwards, but I need your help. We do have a downed tree out here, um, and we just want to make sure that if we're down there, and I'm talking to all the senior adults, please don't climb on the trees and, and go up in the branches and do things like that. Um, but we need help, and here's why. If you're inside or outside, <clears throat> excuse me, we want you to fellowship, but we do have a tree down, but we also have a bunch of flags marked outside. Um, for those of you who don't know that, they're actually supposed to come this week and pour the concrete sidewalks that go from the downstairs to the parking lots. So we need those flags. If you take those flags up, we may have sidewalks all over the place um, when they get here. So please don't pull up flags. Please have fun today. But also, I say this gently, there are some other trees out here that haven't fallen, but it looks like some of them were split. So my point is this. Um, while we picnic today, please just don't play in trees. I know kids want to climb, kids want to be apart, but today would not be the best day uh, to pick some trees to play in. So parents, fellowship, have fun, but please let's be safe today because none of us have had the opportunity uh, yet to get out and canvas and make sure everything is um, safe you know, from the trees. Um, other than that, we will meet right after this. There is no Sunday school, so if you are visiting with us, and uh, we invite you to stay, even if you didn't bring food, I'm sure there'll be plenty from people who bring stuff, uh, but the picnic is only to last as long as you want, so even if you want to stay a few minutes just to fellowship and then leave and go home, or if you want to stay for a while and fellowship with people you haven't talked to in a while, uh, that's what today was really all about. It was an opportunity to just fellowship, celebrate together why so many people have been traveling throughout the summer, and it gives us a chance to meet together. So uh, other than that, um, it is coming to a fast end this summer. I will be meeting with the session. I've had a few people already ask me if we were taking time off in August like we have in the past. We did give you some time in April, so quit complaining, teachers. We, we gave you some time off. Uh, no, the truth of it is the session will be meeting this month, this next week, and if we do have some weeks around Labor Day, uh, we may do that uh, to help some of you who are traveling. But, uh, but we do appreciate your faithfulness all summer long. I can't say thanks enough to the teachers, the kids programs, the youth leaders. For many of you may not realize how many volunteers it takes each week for us just to get through the week. Um, whether it's help in the office, whether it's help cleaning the building, whether it's help teaching classes, whether it's help visiting those, meeting those who've been sick, taking things to people that are needing things, um, 
without your help, it's, it's not just about Sunday morning worship. Uh, it's actually about ministry. It's about the body of Christ serving one another. And without your help, we couldn't do that. And so I say thanks to everyone who's been plugging in this summer and filling in and helping as we go forward. Um, but, but other than that, we do want you to worship with us this morning. Our men's choir will come in a minute. They're going to lead us for the first time as they're singing together. Um, we are going to take an offering like normal. But if you don't have a bulletin, you can't follow along. And so I encourage you to, to get a bulletin, sing the songs with us, fellowship with us, and we'll enjoy the day. And obviously, we're thankful that so far we don't know of anybody that's, that's been hurt uh, through the storms. So, but let me take a moment and uh, let me read our meditation, and then I'll open us in prayer, and we'll begin our service this morning. I will exalt you, Lord, for you have lifted me up. And have not let my enemies rejoice over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. What a blessing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do come this morning to worship you. Lord, in, in the midst of your mighty work of storms, Father, we realize just how little we are compared to how you are able to providentially run all things. From the storms from the west coast to the east coast, over the oceans to other continents, Lord, we obviously do not control that. And in that sight and in the light of that, we realize that you are the one that controls it. And so, Lord, we worship you as the creator and maker of all things. Lord, this morning as we gather together to, to worship you, we pray, Lord, for the safety of many who are without power this morning. We, we pray for those who will need help through the heat and through food and being able to stay in their homes. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'll show us uh, where it is that we can be used and how we can minister uh, to help those in need. But Lord, while we're here, let us worship. Let us exalt you. Lord, we, we take a moment to not only uh, worship you for who you are, but to give back to you just a portion of what you've blessed us with. The Lord, you might use us to further your kingdom, to expand the, the gospel message here on earth. Lord, it is done as we eagerly await your return for you to come and to let us reunite together with you where we will truly worship in your presence for eternity. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. At this time, I'm going to call our ushers, if they would please come forward and go ahead and start taking up the offering. And also, our men's chorus is going to come this morning and lead us, and at the end of the Gloria Patri, we'll continue. Ushers, if you would come and go ahead and start the offering.
while you remain standing as the men go to their seats, let me call us to worship this morning. I'll read the light print if you'll follow with me reading the dark print, and then we'll sing together hymn number 302 in your hymn book. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Let us call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. Amen. You may be seated and keep your bulletin open as we take a moment to confess our faith together in this wonderful Lord and Savior. As we sing to him, we also confess a joint faith common with our fathers for many years. The Westminster Confession was written and then there was a larger and shorter catechism applied to it so that we could teach that. And so if you're unfamiliar with catechism, it's not just Catholic. I've said that too many times before. Catechism is the understanding of teaching through questions and answers. And so when we catechize, we give people questions and then we give them the right answers. And so the divines got together and if you would join with me, I'll read the light print the question if you'll join me in reading together the answers as we deal with the third commandment. Question 111 states, what is the third commandment? The third commandment is, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Well, what does the third commandment require? The third commandment requires the holy and reverent use in our thoughts, meditations, words, and writings of God's name, titles, qualities, regulations, word, sacraments, prayer, oaths, vows, casting lots, his works, and anything else by which he makes himself known. This treatment will be reflected in holy affirmations of our faith and conduct that matches our affirmations to the glory of God and the good of ourselves and others. What reasons are added to the third commandment? The reasons are in these words, the Lord thy God and the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Because he is the Lord and our God, his name must never be treated as unholy or misused by us in any way, particularly since he is so opposed to acquitting or sparing those who break this commandment that he will not allow them to escape his righteous judgment. Even though many do break this commandment, escape human condemnation and punishment. It's amazing as we work our way through the commandments just how important they were to reveal to us who God is and what he expects of us as we go forward. I don't know how many times when it comes to using the name of Jesus in wrong ways. I have said to many people, you don't have to use swear words to misuse his name. Using God's name without a purposeful intent is misuse. For example, 
oh God, I can't believe this is happening. My Lord, what did you do that for? Jesus, what are you thinking? It's amazing when we stop and think about just how often we insert the name of the Trinity without any purpose whatsoever intended. I would encourage you, do not misuse the name of the Lord our God. Let me take a moment and pray for us. If you'll join me in a moment, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. You'll see it inside the cover of the hymn book. Um, But let me take a moment and just pray for our congregation, and then we'll pray together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we confess our faith, we also confess our needs. We confess that we come to you because we know the answers to so many of the things we face and the situations we must overcome are all only allowed because of your permission, that everything that happens is under your providential care, that even Satan cannot do things without coming and getting permission first. And so, Lord, whatever it is in our lives this morning that we're facing, whatever the trials, the circumstances, whatever the uncomfortable uh, situation we face may be, Lord, help us turn to you. Help us to turn to you and simply ask, what is this purpose, and how does this draw me closer to you? How does it draw me into the service of others, and how may I give my life to others as you gave your son's life for us? Lord, as we keep that in perspective, we realize that regardless of the surgeries, the rehabs, Father, regardless of the uh, mishaps and the misfortunes, regardless of the things that we call accidents, Lord, all of these are the terms we've put together to say these are things that we were unexpected and the things to us that we don't understand. But yet, Lord, if you would help us to see them through your perspective, that you promised that the way you would care even for the birds, how much more you would care for us. That the things in this world don't go unattended, and how could they go unattended in our lives as well? And so, Lord, we submit to you this morning as we pray for our families who are going through rehab and are going through rehabilitation, those who have been through surgery. Lord, we pray for those even last night uh, who are without power and those who have chores before them and those who will have repairs that need to be done. Lord, we pray that you'll watch over us safely as we recover from the storms. But yet, Lord, here this morning, we just say thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. That we are here to worship you because of him. We are here to exalt you because our sins have been forgiven. And we're here to glorify in your name because you do care for us. You have fearfully and wonderfully made us. And Lord, because of that, you sent your son to die for us. And through his death, his resurrection, Lord, he has now opened us up that we too might boldly come to the throne of grace, directly into your presence through his name, to pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would just look into your bulletin and prayer with me as we come together not only to confess our faith and our sins, but together as a congregation, if you would read with me our confession of sin together. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out our transgression. Wash away all our iniquity and cleanse us from sin. For we know our transgressions and our sins are always before us. Against you only have we sinned and done what is evil in your sight. God, you are proved right when you speak and you are justified when you judge. Yet spare us, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And again, to this day in my own personal walk, I've yet to come before the Lord and asked him for forgiveness when I have not found the assurance of his pardon and grace. Whatever your sin that you need to bring to him, I bring to you the confidence I have in him, and that is if you will confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin. Psalm 34 even says this, evil will slay the wicked, the foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants, and no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. There is no condemnation for those of us in Christ. That is amazing grace. What a blessing. We thank our music team again, and we thank our sound and video team, and uh, all those that make it possible for us to be able to worship here and reach others that are unable to come through the online and through the videos that we do. We're in Mark chapter 2, and this morning is a very short passage that packs a lot for us. I'm going to try my best to give it to you in relations to our church, our life, in our society, and to Christ's reign. It's not a long one. You've read it many a times. It's in several of our Gospels, but Mark packs the punch in the midst of this argument with the Pharisees. He has just done things that others think he shouldn't do. That's what happens when Jesus appears. It's amazing that if Jesus were to walk through the doors of our church this morning, come in and sit down, you would have to ask yourself, would you say, well, why did he come during the offering? Why did he not wait for the prayer to be done? Why did he interrupt the speaker? It's amazing how when Jesus makes his presence known that we live in a world that claims that he is the most important thing of all time, yet he must still fit within the bounds and the structures that we create. I wonder this morning just how you have bound Jesus in your own life, where you have squandered, if you wished, or thrown away, or maybe even held captive, a joy that could be released, an excitement that could be lived, an abundant life in which he came to give us, as he told us in John, not as a thief that would kill, steal, and destroy, but that we would have life and have it what? Abundantly. But for so many of us, the joy of the bridegroom is many times overshadowed and lost in the midst of the wedding reception. 
in the midst of our own lives. Mark writes to us in chapter 2, and this morning I speak to you about out with the old and in with the new. Now, I wasn't talking, I hope none of you think that I've been scouting out you and your life. I'm not concerned about what color you're painting your house or what kind of car you drive or what kind of activities you're facing. I'm not asking you and I'm not encouraging you to take advice this morning and apply it in a way that you're just throwing out everything that you don't want anymore and starting from scratch. Unless, of course, that's what the Lord is telling you to do. But Mark says it this way when he's bound listening to the stories and writing to us how the Pharisees have now gathered together and the scribes around Jesus as he has not only healed people but made them well, preached to them the truth, and is gathering crowds of people everywhere he goes. And again, we're reminded, don't focus on the crowds. Our focus should always be on who? On Jesus. Crowds don't always tell the truth of what's really going on. Here's what he says, beginning in verse 18 of chapter 2. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting And they came and they said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples, speaking to Jesus, do not fast. And so Jesus said to them, while the groom is with them, the attendants of the groom cannot fast, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the groom is taken away from them And then they will fast on that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. So I challenge you this morning, in a moment I'll take you on a journey of how we can apply this. But for now, let's fill in the details about why this issue with the Pharisees is so important. Because if you don't understand who the Pharisees are, you'll miss the attacks that constantly go on between Jesus and them. Before I go too far, I'll remind you that Jesus is probably more like the Pharisees than any other sect in the New Testament. Compare them to the Sadducees who don't even believe in a resurrection, and what would that tell you where Jesus fits? Gather them together with the Essenes in the communities in which we don't hear about in the Gospels, but in some of our extant writings, and he wasn't one who secluded himself from everybody, taught from a distance, he was involved in the crowds. You see, the Pharisees came about, if you're the historian, clear back in the Maccabean Revolt, back in about 165 B.C., They've been around now for almost two centuries when Jesus is walking on the earth. They've held their own. They've gained a good rapport in upholding the teachings of the Torah, helping lead the church. Its teachings go forward, oral traditions. Folks, keep in mind that as these Pharisees are coming to attack things, I would honestly say at times many of them are coming because like you and I, our traditions we think are so important that we're really only trying to do the right thing, even when we're so wrong. Have you ever won an argument? (laughs) 
I was just waiting to see what you said. I didn't see one guy say yes. <laughs> You're smart, man. You just won that one. No, have you ever won an argument and realized that you lost the whole battle that was there? You got your point proven. You made it known where you stand, and you at least got it off your chest. But it did not help the cause one bit. We used to say in presbytery meetings all the time, if you have never been to one, we'll be hosting one in September. I invite you to come. You're welcome to come to the worship service and be a part of it. But I used to tease people all the time in the presbytery meetings, you always have those men who no matter what the topic and the subject is, they have something to say about it. And by the time they get up and speak, everybody else in the room just shuts everything down because they know that the person who's getting up to speak is not having anything of well contribution to be made. It's not even that they want to accomplish the things they're going to tell you. They just want to get up and what? Let you know what they're thinking. That's the Pharisees. No matter what it was, it was always designed as kids. We used to say this, and you've heard it before. They weren't very fair, you see. Because the whole time they wanted things, it was their way. It was like how they wanted it. It was their traditions. And anytime something was involved, if it wasn't their way, it was no way. And here are the ones gathered next to Jesus. Mark writes us, and let me give you this. They were Pharisees because they were known and translated as the holy ones or the separated ones. They were opposed to Hellenism, that of gathering together the Roman and Greek world. They were doing what they could to fight against the authorities of the days and to stand up for the truths of the Torah. I'm not here to tell you I love the Pharisees. I'm here to tell you that the argument that Mark's describing is not because this is like Satan and Job going at it against God the Father. This is Pharisees trying to live what they thought was right clouded by all their traditions and structures that they've inserted over time. And they don't understand why this Jesus is bringing so much joy and celebration into the presence of everyone else. And so all of a sudden we get the story that as they stood only on their teachings of the Torah and they were there to debate these traditions that Jesus was now challenging I've yet to find a place where Jesus challenged the scriptures because they were wrong. Jesus never debated the Pharisees over the truths of the scriptures. He was frustrated over the importance of their traditions. How many of you, those of you who didn't vote for the argument, have family traditions? And you get mad when people don't abide by your family traditions. Almost as if they don't keep the tradition, they're bucking the truths of all that matter. Or maybe they're the traditions of the way that you've always done things. Parents, I say this gently, but I'm learning quickly that some of my traditions and values that I have as a parent were not necessarily always based on the truths of the scriptures as much as the truths how I wanted the scriptures to be. And as my children make their own choices, pattern their own lives, and follow their own callings by the Father, they don't always match what Daddy thought they would do. I still think they're wrong in my heart, <laughs> but I've had to accept that before the Father, that He's the one that leads them, ultimately not me. 
And so as Mark gives us the story of this important understanding, this is about legalism and traditions. This is not about a patch. It's not about a wedding. It's not about drinking wine. I have heard the stories over and over. This is why we need new clothes. You see, my old ones are bad. And even Mark says we need new clothes. They can't handle being fixed. Why try to fix old clothes? Might as well get new ones. And it's all about drinking. Who wants Kool-Aid? We could have wine, even Jesus. But wine, look there, put them in the vats. And weddings, we got to have weddings. Look, Jesus talked about a wedding. Folks, those are not even part of the story. The whole story is that the kingdom of God has just made an entrance into the world. And he's sitting with sinners. And he's bringing joy through the gospel truth. And the traditions of the Pharisees have just been bucked. Who do you think should be right? So all of a sudden, he gives us the story. It starts out about fasting. They're picking on Jesus. Why? Because John's disciples fast. The, the Pharisees and the scribes' disciples, they're fasting. And Jesus must be doing something wrong, and he needs to be careful. Why? Because if he's going to fit in this society, and he thinks he's going to bring some kind of kingdom from God here on earth, and you think he's going to bring a message of salvation, he better start keeping up with the times and doing things the way we do things. And we now fast sometimes four times a week. Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? And so he answers them in broad parabolic form with several answers. Why in the world would anyone fast at a wedding celebration? Now, folks, we could answer the question right then and there. Why would you even go to a wedding and to the celebration if you were saying to yourself, well, I support weddings, but I don't like food. I support weddings, but I don't want to see people get together. I like to go out to dinner, but I don't want to eat anything. See, it made no sense because he's speaking about the truth of the kingdom of God invading the traditions of man and they're still thinking about their traditions of fasting they're worried about what the people are doing bound by the legalism and the traditions and they're missing who's sitting right before them and so mark reminds us that this wedding celebration must be understood it's not about fasting it's about, again, the legalism and the traditions because nowhere do we find in the scriptures of the Old Testament any other time that we should be fasting other than the Day of Atonement. One time a year, people would gather together because of their sins. They would find contrition. They would find strength. They would find and muster up whatever was necessary to find forgiveness and to prepare their lives, to focus on what was necessary so that they could be forgiven that they could be prepared and cleansed and made right and they could be declared holy once a year. And now we're fasting four times a week. Let me give you one tradition. The disciples met on the first day of the week to worship the Lord, to break the bread and for prayer. Let's call that Sunday morning. Where did we come up with Sunday night and Wednesday night and Thursday night? 
You see, all of a sudden we read things in scriptures and we say, well, you're supposed to pray without ceasing so the church should gather every night in prayer. And we're supposed to be ministering to everybody, so we need to gather together for the services of the church so that we can stay busy. We need to worship, we need to exalt God, and if you can't be here in the morning, we need to do it at night so that everybody has a chance. And before long, I know growing up some in the South with my wife and marrying into her family, I realized very quickly that Southern Baptists in Colorado had worship on Sunday mornings, and then we did missions all week long. But when I moved to the South, you did Sunday morning worship, Sunday afternoon training, Sunday evening discipleship, Sunday night second worship, Wednesday night fellowship meal, Wednesday night Bible study programs, and of course the Thursday night share time before you got ready for the Lord's Supper that weekend. And we got so bound in traditions of meeting that it was more important to meet together than to meet with the master. And then it got so switched that now it's even so important that we can gather together in places, other places, at other times, doing other things. And Sunday morning isn't even the important part of the week anymore. I bet Mark, if he was speaking to us, would wonder why in the world Jesus would come and mess up our traditions. So he gives us stories. Because nowhere in the Old Testament do we get Jesus or the Messiah as a bridegroom or a groomsman. In the Old Testament, God was the groom. Israel was the bride. And so for Jesus to claim that he is the bridegroom or the groomsman is to put himself not just in a relationship like God, but to claim that he is God. Please catch that. Catch the truth of what Jesus is saying. He's not just saying, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am this. He makes the great I am sayings in John. But in Mark, he simply says it in a parabolic way when he says, why would you fast when the groomsman, Yahweh, is here with his people. Because in the New Testament, the Son of God is the groomsman, and the church is his bride. And so Mark puts all of that together, and he says, man, this is just a real short story about Jesus meeting with these people, and yet the Pharisees are upset because traditions are being rocked People's lives are being shattered. Their minds are being torn asunder. And what is taking place here? And why are these people so happy about this and meeting with this guy? And the rest of us are upset. How upset were you the first time some of your expectations were not met or broken? That's the Pharisees. And so all of a sudden we realize, how do we handle change that God brings? How do you handle it when the Holy Spirit says to you, it's time to be out with the old and in with the new? Are you able? So how do you handle that change? Listen to the stories he gives us. First of all, we get this understanding of what takes place, like we said of how important it is to understand both old and new. The new, the celebration, the gospel of Jesus Christ against the old, the traditions and the standards upheld by society or even religious leaders. 
It's the old versus the new. That's why we get the parable, if you say, of not only the, the wineskins, but the patch. Folks, I don't have to go into the details. You know the stories. It is interesting, though, if your Bible doesn't use the word fresh in verse 22, you should circle that. Because at the end of verse 22, we are told that new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. That's a different word that is used from new. The rest of the word neos, that's the word for kainos. You know the difference between kainos and kainos. Kronos is the sense of time in chronological order. Kainos is the sense of new in the experience of time or fresh. Keep in mind that if you're going to have something new take place, it must come to something that is fresh, alive, willing, ready, able. And so all of a sudden we realize that these wineskins, why would they have to be changed? If you don't know the story, it was nothing special, but an old wineskin has already been stretched out. It's been used over time. It's beginning to get hard and structured in its sense. It's like an old leather bag that's already been stretched out far enough, and you've stretched it and stretched it and stretched it, and if you stretch it too much more, it's going to finally give in. Well, when you take brand new wine that's just been made and you pour it into a a wineskin that's already been stretched out as possibly as far as it could have ever been stretched, those new gases that come from the new wine and all that's taking place begin to expand even farther. And what happens to the wineskin? It bursts. The fear is not what happened to the wineskin. The problem is you're frustrated because you just lost the new wine. And when you sew this new piece of garment, if you wish, this garment that has never been washed and never been used, and you try to attach it to a piece of clothing that you can imagine if we're talking about John the Baptist or others who are locusts and honey and wilderness clothing, it's probably all stretched out, labeled out, thinned out. And if yours are some like my t-shirts, you can see right through them, read the newspaper through everything, see what's going on, because you've wore it until it's as thin as thin could be. And it gets this rip in it and you put a brand new piece of cloth over it. And when it goes through the dryer and that new cloth just shrinks up, what happens to the old? The word there is the word for rent. It's been further rent. No different than when the veil was rent. It takes the old and makes it worse. And you're not worried about the old. What you're worried about is now that my patch has shrunk, it's got nothing, no purpose. Everything's ruined. As we slowly come to the teachings of the parable, every one of you this morning can begin to apply its truths in your life. I don't have to preach them. I don't have to bring them up. We can simply understand the truth that what Jesus is talking about is the excitement the wonderful acceptance of that which is the new, the gospel, the power, the kingdom of God that's been brought new. And it's being forced into the traditions and the structures of the people who think it should be handled a certain way. And they just don't mesh. And one's going to burst or get rent. And I don't have to tell you which one it is. 
Sometimes you wonder why your life is like it is, and it's because you have to realize that you've been hanging on and trying to contain the power of Christ for so long in the ways that you want him to work in your life, in the ways that you think he should work in your life. And you've guarded him and protected him, and you want more of him, but you're still containing him within the bounds of what you think is right within traditions, nothing to do with Scripture, but it's just how you want it to be. And if Jesus is going to bless your life, you want him to bless it the way you want him to bless it. That's why you've been asking for prayers, and you're upset when your prayers aren't answered the way you want them to be answered. And the people around you aren't behaving the way you want them to behave. And your wineskin is just beginning to bulge and it's had all that it can handle. And yet you want more of Jesus. And so he finally says, you want the truth? And so he gives you more of him. And your life bursts. And then there's no joy. And so how do we apply this? First of all, write this down, keep it. It's the kingdom of Christ and what he brings in his kingdom that changes. It's the kingdom of Christ. Listen to what he says. Jesus is now not the one that they expected. We know that when Jesus uses the groom analogy and he says this, but the days will come when the groom will be taken away. Guys, that is the, the word, if you wish, for being forcibly taken. It is the word from Apiro. It is the same word that is used in the parable of the cloth that's put on the old, and it is rent or torn away. Those are the same words. The same word that the cloth is torn away from the old is the same word in which Jesus will be torn away or taken from his people. He's actually saying in a parabolic form, the day's coming when I'm going to be forcibly taken from my bride. I am not the king you expected. I'm not the one that's riding on the stallion, the warrior of all times to come and conquer the worldly kingdoms. You want new wine, you're going to have to have a fresh perspective and be ready to accept me for who I am in the scriptures. There will be no victory with Jesus until Jesus becomes the victim. There will be no victory until Jesus becomes the victim. And he tells us that about his reign. He tells us that he will be taken away. He tells us that the fasting that must take place at the wedding is going to take place after he leaves. Folks, he's given us the story of the truth that he's going to come. He's going to conquer, yes, if you wish, over sin. And he's going to go. He's going to be with the Father. And that's when we fast. That's when we practice our watchfulness and our contrition. That's when we pray for our strength. That's when we look over all that is necessary to service one another, bond together. It's when Jesus is gone that we need to focus on discipleship. And for you and I, Jesus has gone. Are we fasting? Are we spending every moment in constant awareness, awakened for him to come again? It's not just about the kingdom of Christ and his reign. It's also about our Christian redemption. It applies to us because we cannot receive Christ if life that we have is not fresh. What we mean by fresh is made ready. You can't sow seed in soil that's not ready. 
We get parables about it. The Holy Spirit prepares our hearts. He gets changes in us. He makes everything ready so that when the word of God is preached, it's received, it's made right. If the wineskin is not ready, the joy cannot be put in. Let me just say this gently. Are you ready to receive the joy? Does your heart not say, Lord, I want more of you? Lord, I want to serve you. Lord, I want to be like you. I don't see the need for church. I don't see why we got to gather together. I can do it on my own. I'm just as happy the church is full of hypocrites. They're always fighting each other anyway. I don't need that. Do you think the joy is coming to that? All of a sudden we realize if you are going to accept Christ, how can you do it in keeping your old ways? Christ brings the newness of the gospel, the change. He brings a whole new person. Isaiah tells us we have a new name, a new song. We have a new position. We have new life in Jesus Christ. Why would you want to keep it in the old structures in which you can't contain the growth that's coming? Do you trust him or not? I bet your family traditions are square if they're like mine. Sure, I'll accept the boundaries of things that go as long as within those boundaries I'm able to control those things. But anything outside those boundaries, that's too much joy for me. To see Christians having fun and is not in this church, I don't like it. To see people out sharing their faith and knocking on doors and talking about Jesus and it's not our people, I don't like it. To hear people singing and celebrating and worshiping the Lord and it's not done in this place, I don't like that. Um, have you contained the joy in your life? You see, you can't mix the kingdom of God with the traditions of man or the world. You can't say, yes, Lord, and then say, but I'm in control. They just don't go together. Remember the old saying, in the word sin, I in the middle is who? Me. That's the definition of sin. It's the I that's right in the middle. That's me. It's because I say Jesus is Lord, but I still run my life. I say Jesus is in control, but I still make the choices. I say that Jesus has brought me joy, but I still make sure the circumstances happen the way I think they should be. Folks, that's what Mark is talking about. You cannot mix the gospel of truth with the lies of this world. It just doesn't happen. That's the whole problem with lordship salvation. I love Campus Crusade. I love the four spiritual laws. Clear back into the 80s, back into the beginnings of times with Bill Bright. I'm telling you my age. It goes back to the whole gospel presentation. One of the hardest things we ever talked about was what was known as the carnal Christian you see, what, what the four spiritual laws taught us was that you have a sinner, and they have this circle with Christ on the throne, or Christ, you on the throne, and Christ outside the circle. That's the sinner. And then they have the saved person, which has the chair inside the circle, and Christ on the throne. 
That's the saved person. And then we came up with this new understanding, which we can't find in Scripture, and we called it the carnal Christian. That's the person who has the circle, the chair, and Christ in the circle, but not on the throne. In other words, you could be saved, but Jesus wasn't in control of your life yet. And for over 30 years, we evangelized a nation that said, you can accept Jesus as your Lord, or Savior, and then one day you can make him what? Lord. Well, if you can make him Savior, and you can choose when he becomes Lord, well, then who's really in control? And for generations, we have churches full of people who have just taken the new wine and put it in the old wineskin, who've just taken a new patch and placed it on an old garment. And Mark says, that can't be. That can't be. He's either God, Savior, and Lord, or he's not. You're either full of the new or you're not. There is no in-between. Jesus even said it this way. You're either hot or what? Cold. You're either with me or what? Against me. But somehow, Jesus hits the Pharisees because he said, for some reason, Scripture makes it clear. It's one or the other. But you guys have created a both and. I can have both Jesus as Lord and still stay in control of my life. I can have Jesus as my Savior and still live the way I want. I can have Jesus be the one directing my life, but me being the one calling the shots. Folks, there's no both and in the kingdom of God. The newness has come. The celebration is to be all about him, the bridegroom, not the celebration. Catch that from the story. Catch that as we think about our redemption and church reformations the next. Because not only is it about Christ's reign and the Christian's redemption, but it's about the church's reformation. The church needs to be a church that is saved by the gospel and its grace, not in coherence with society and its traditions and structures. Folks, I'm not going to go back two years from now. I think we're all guilty. And how little it takes to get an entire world to follow someone's lead. To say we are Christians. Hmm. Jesus probably showed up amongst the tradition, the leaders who were trying to tell themselves when the one who created him was right there with them saying, let's just enjoy some time together. Church reformation is important because churches must receive it afresh. We are the same. It's not just about individual Christians. The church is made up of Christians. The church must be fresh. I could go down the list of church planting for many years, pastoring in different sized churches, Folks, people want change. They want growth. I've never been in a church that when you meet with them, they're like, man, we're so happy. I just wish everybody in our church would leave so it used to be three or four of us left. 
You may feel that way at times. I just wish something would happen and our church would catch on fire and everything would burn down except the one prayer room. This doesn't happen. People want growth. People want change. But let me ask you this. When we pray for God to bring change, now be careful. I'm not trying to share my vision too much. But are we willing to build new structures? Are we willing to have new classes, willing to listen to new teachers? Are we willing to break the structures of the old? I remember the first time we started a summer fun day. You mean to tell me we're going to have one fun day instead of an entire VBS? Pastor, how come we stopped having food every morning before Sunday school? Caring right now? Do we really need a security team? Did you know I'm caring right now? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I saw some of you ducking. <laughs> like, yeah. What about the video team? Folks, thousands. We can't thank Tim and Karen and others who've helped us put it all together and the video cameras and the screens. For those of you who are at home, you don't realize the wrestling match that went on when it first came out. Not that the elders didn't want it, but they were like, what's the need? Why do we need that? And today we realize, thank you, Lord, for helping us see our need and not trying to grow by putting you in old wineskins. Churches today needing more space. Will you give up your pew? Literally, for chairs that can be moved, classes that can be formed, activities that can be done. What about your programs? Age-related? Senior-focused? See, I could go down the list on and on. All you're saying to me is, well, Pastor, we just want to grow. We just want to see new people. But how do you do that if you're trying to force it into old wineskins? That when the new comes, what happens? The old bursts. And then people are worse off than before. Church reformation finally leads along to Christ-like relationships. Let me say this and I'll close. It's only about the parables of wine and cloth with a bridegroom along with his attendants celebrating the joy of the kingdom. But how can any Christ-like relationship be integrated and combined with the practices of an old world? John simply says, if you don't know God, you don't know love. How many of you know non-Christians who look at people and say, I love you with all my heart? And they don't know God. 
do I need to describe that kind of love to you? The Bible simply says that if you can't forgive, then Christ won't what? Forgive you. And yet, how many Christians do you know are unable to forgive and still expect Christ to forgive them? You can't have both. The old and the new do not mesh. Jesus, he gave his life, if you wish, for us. Jesus is the one who gave himself for the whole service of others, but was not bound to any of them. His allegiance was only to the Lord. Serving others' allegiance to the Lord. He gave his life to the world, but was not held captive by it. Yes, Jesus even upheld the teachings of the Torah, but refused to be bound by it. Jesus came to set us free. More vividly, he came to make us fresh, to make us new, where we could celebrate the joy of the groom. The party is not about the people. The focus is not on the wedding and the gathering. The joy that's experienced is only because they're in the presence of the groom. And maybe here this morning, you're saying to yourself, Pastor, I just have no joy. I go to church, I don't find joy. I go to Bible study, I don't find joy. I go to choir, I just can't find joy. I've changed jobs, I still don't have joy. And maybe this morning you realize it's because you're still looking for the joy that the world provides, which is based on the people who accept you and the fun you have. And now you want the new patch. You want the new wine. More importantly, you want to be with the groom, the one who chose you to be his bride. That's when you find joy. Joy is in the presence of Jesus. Can you handle it? Are you prepared for it? All you have to do is accept it. Accept Jesus Christ. He will tear out all the old. He'll even tear out parts of your heart. The old will burst in ways you've never imagined. But the joy you experience will be overflowing. Just like the Pharisees, others will look at your life and wonder what in the world is going on. And how can you be so happy? The answer I found my joy in Jesus, out with the old, in with the new. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for confronting us in our own traditions. 
Forgive us when we followed the ways of others and not the truth. Lord, when we've prayed for you to bring the new, but we want to keep it baggaged in the old. Lord, most of all, when we're praying for joy, change our hearts and minds so that we'll look to you, not to the things of this world. Father, we realize now the old and the new are incompatible and only further hurt and destruction happens when they come together. Father, if you bringing the new to us means destroying our old traditions, I say, come, Lord Jesus, come. It's in his name I pray. Amen. If you're able, would you please stand with us? No better way. I know many of you have probably sang it as intros all your life, but what a better way to sing and to finish Realizing that all of our lives filled with new allows us to do nothing but sing holy, holy, holy. Let's sing that together as we conclude.
let me pray for the meal and the fellowship so that you can get started as soon as you go downstairs or wherever you are, and then we'll have a benediction. Heavenly Father, bless our time of fellowship this morning, the food that we'll partake, the fellowship together. Let it all be an uplifting glory to your church, your kingdom, and to your family here. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And we've received the benediction. Paul simply said, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And God's children said, amen. Have a great Lord's Day.